Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is Wednesday, January 8th, 2020. And the title of tonight's message is Bit and Bridal Priest. Bit and Bridal Priest. We are in the midst of a great season here at LCM. God has clearly laid out the mandate for us to elevate our priesthood by cultivating the soil of our hearts. We will elevate our priesthood into a perpetual priesthood as we cure the Kohanim, as we purify our priesthood, and as we develop a jealousy that cares only for reverencing God's name. Only. Not more than something else, but only reverencing God's name. Tonight we're going to look at a part of the, rev- the elevation process that we've yet to engage with. And that is the adversity and opposition we can expect as we begin to elevate our priesthood. See, we're going to just stay on this idea of elevating our priesthood for a long time as a church. We're not going anywhere, so you just need to settle in and get comfortable with it. Because us understanding and be able to to say the phrase, elevate our priesthood, does not mean that we have yet elevated our priesthood. It means that we are just beginning to understand a clear direction that God is setting forth before us, but it is incumbent upon us to really start to seek after it. Lord, we hear what you're saying. We see the direction that we must walk in now. Show us how to do it, Lord. Lord, we need you to show us how to do it. What you heard during worship tonight, what you heard during worship tonight was a a call for us to lay down everything. Everything and nothing less is what God is calling us to. He is calling us to purify our hearts tonight. What I heard in the words, what I heard in the encouragement was that we have some things that we have not yet seen about our own hearts. Wow. But Lord, I'm giving you everything I know. Yes, he's going to show you some things tonight that you didn't know about. He's going to show you some areas that you haven't yet fully dedicated to him that you just gave lip service to. You thought you did, but God's going to show you. And then you are responsible for what you're going to do about that. Lord, I want to elevate my priesthood. Fine, then he's going to have to show you things that have not yet been elevated. Ooh, does he really have to do it that way? Yes, that's exactly how he's going to do it for us. And this is what we're going to do tonight. We're going to begin our study tonight by looking at Numbers 22. Everybody turn to Numbers chapter 22. Wow, what kind of sermon are you going to do when you're starting in Numbers, huh? this This is going to wreck your heart like it's been wrecking mine. The context here in Numbers 22 is that the Israelites are under the leadership of Moses. Both Miriam and Aaron have died. It's actually in one chapter. The beginning of the chapter, Miriam dies. At the end of the chapter, Aaron dies. See, they have had legendary... Somebody say legendary. Legendary. They have legendary victories against Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan. It's so legendary. Anybody know about these two guys? A little bit. I'm telling you, it's an epic kind of battles that go on here because they keep pointing back to these victories. When you get to the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, hey, don't forget just the way that God defeated Sihon and Og. He's going to do to everybody who tries to oppose you. Everybody. Everybody's going to get decimated like these guys. So let's turn to Numbers chapter 22 and verse one. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. See, this is an epic battle that had just taken place. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Who, who are the people that they're terrified? God's people. 
man, there's this crazy group. And I know that they came out of Egypt. I know that they've done all these things. But just recently, just the other day, we saw it with our own eyes. They have defeated Amorite in such a dominating way that we're afraid of them now. Here they are, close to our borders. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. See, we see Balak, the son of Zippor, who is the king of the Moabites. And he is completely terrified because the people of God are just standing next to him. Yeah, see, that this, this should start to dominate our thinking already. This idea that we are supposed to be only meek and lowly. You should cause people to tremble when you walk up. You should be having so much of the presence of God that they can see the victories in your life and they're either going to love you or hate you. We have to get over this idea that we want everybody to love us. We just got back from a funeral and there were family members who hugged us with one arm and then were talking behind our backs as much as they possibly could. You know why? Because we chose to come back here and be here for service. They railed us using the ever popular words, you guys are a cult. What about me and my wife do you not like? What about our marriage do you not want to emulate? What about our kids do you not want to emulate? This is the conversation my wife was having. Get it. My wife put her father into the ground and turned and had these discussions with people. Man. See, the king of the Moabites here, Balak, is completely terrified. The people who had defeated them. See, what you didn't know about the story was, is that Balak... And his people had just been defeated by the Amorites and Og. They had been dominated. So the guy who just beat you up got totally beat up. How scared are you of that guy? This is what's happening here. Let's see how Balak responds. Look at verse 4. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam. Somebody say Balaam. We're going to study tonight about Balaam. We're going to see some things about Balaam. I don't know if you know much about him at this point, but you're going to know more by the time we get done. See, this isn't, this is going to be something that, uh, unfortunately, you're going to feel, realize how much you resemble Balaam. And that ain't a good thing. See, Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the river. That's the river Euphrates, by the way. In his native land, Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. See, they cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come, Balaam, and put a curse on these people. Some might say, put a curse. Because they're too powerful for me. He hasn't engaged them in battle. He doesn't even know that they have no intention of attacking him at this point. He just says, they're close to me and I can't handle it. So uh, why don't you come and curse these people? Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. Balaam is kind of a confusing guy if you don't understand the big picture. Those he blesses are in fact blessed. Those he curses are in fact cursed. See, the truth is, is that chapters 22, 23, and 24 in Numbers shift from a perspective that is talking about the Israelites and what they're doing, and it shifts over here to get a perspective of what the enemy's camp is doing. 
a different perspective for you, okay? So you've got to understand that instead of just talking about the people of God, now we're talking and we're seeing behind the scenes and what God's enemies have to say. I didn't know that before I started studying. I was like, oh, I've never noticed that. The, the whole perspe- perspective has shifted. See, the Lord is trying to help us to shift our perspective tonight. Some things that you've always, you see something one way and you can't see it any other way. Until you do. Until the magic eye pops out. Until, until the illusions start and you start seeing it a different way and go, man, I've never seen it that way before, but now I can only see it that way. See, he's going to help us tonight. Not since Pharaoh have we had this kind of perspective into what the enemy was doing. Let's look at verse 12. See, in verses 10 and 11, Balaam goes to God and tells him what Balak has said to him. Don't get confused. Balaam and Balak. Those are not normal names for us to have. Balak is the king and Balaam is the prophet that we're talking about. So let's pick it up in verse 12. Balaam has told God what Balak has said to him. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. Somebody say, don't go with them. They have sent a group of people with the price for divination. They have sent them with money, a delegation to go up to Balaam and say, please come and curse the the people of God. We got lots of money for you. We have our whole entourage, the envoy that's here. We're asking you to come and curse God's people. Balaam says, "Uh, let me ask God. (laughs) I wonder what your answer is going to be there, big guy. God said to him, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people. Somebody say those people. people. What an interesting way to say that. Anybody in the room ever been one of those people? Yeah, in whatever, in whatever way. It's usually not meant as a good thing. One of those people. Except for when God is saying it. And he's bringing a distinction between who Balaam is and between those people. See, we're in the enemy's camp perspective. Usually when we say those people, it's not a good thing. But if you're in the bad guy's place and you're looking over and saying those people, who's he talking about? He's talking about God's people. See, Balaam is such an interesting figure. He has some characteristics that seem confusing. He can bless people and they're actually blessed. He can curse them and they're actually cursed. See, what I'm aiming for tonight is to make sure that we eliminate any confusion about this biblical character and about the things that we are doing in our lives. Some might say our lives. lives. See, the lack of shalom that we have actually clouds our field of vision. God clearly speaks to Balaam and says, do not go with them. Balak was desiring to curse God's people and Balaam was to have no part of it. How many things do we indulge in our lives and you should have no part of it? Like not even giving someone the grace of a conversation to explain your own perspective. No, I'll have none of that. Thank you very much. I'm turning around and walking away. Having some reverence for God's name. Having some awe of His name and saying, I will have none of that because God is not pleased with it and neither will I be. I'm walking away right now. Man, that's a way to elevate your your life. Elevate your priesthood to purify yourself, to cultivate your heart. Sometimes we just put up with way too much as believers. And by putting up with it, you're actually indulging it. See, Balaam then turns and says no to the envoy. 
Good for you, Balaam. God told you to say no, and you said no. But see, the wicked people, they took it as a negotiation. Somebody say negotiation. negotiation. They thought it was a negotiation tactic. So you know what they did? They came back with a more prestigious envoy. They went higher in the ranks. Right? You're not going to send your best guy out there yet. You're going to see if you can get it with the, with the guy you're not paying as much per hour. And when that doesn't work, you start amping this up, and you're like, okay, now it's time for the big guns. I sent Gibby to go do this one, but that, that one didn't work out as well, so I'm going to send Dan. Now it's time for the big guns. It's time to bring out your best salesman. So they brought out a more elite envoy. They had more money with them the next time. They were trying to show prestige and honor and another request for him. So Balaam does something that most people in this room have done. Balaam renegotiates with God. Look at verse 18. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me this, his palace, you know, filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now, if you, when you see this and read this, this is part of the, what makes this confusing. Is it seems like he's saying the right thing. I mean, I, you could give me all the gold in the world. Why is he talking about gold and silver? Oh, see, because it's what he really wants. I mean, you know, if you were to, you know, give me that lovely ring you're wearing, I, even then, even then, I don't think I could go against the Lord. Balaam sounds like he's saying the right thing. But this isn't him sharing a good heart. It's his true motives being revealed. All right. This is the part where we get to shift from talking just about some guy who lived, you know, a long, long, long time ago. 1,500 years before Christ. And now we're going to talk about us. Anybody ever said the right thing, but you knew your heart was far from it? If, if you did not shake your hand, say yes, or raise, uh, raise your hand, then, then we all know that we've done that. We've said what sounded right, even to ourselves, but our true motives were veiled. And in this case, we learn that Balaam is a for-profit prophet. He's a for-profit prophet. Now look at verse 19. He is performing the function that God had put him for, but he was doing it for personal gain. A for-profit prophet. Do you have your maturity and your walk enough where you can just do it because it's the right thing? Or are you looking to get something from your obedience to the Lord? Well, I, I'm just going to do this because uh, I, just, I, just, I just need some peace. Really? Is that really revering his name? I'm going to do this because I need to get something. So this is like a little, this is like a little exchange. This is the system. This is how the system works. No, you need to be careful lest we all become for-profit prophets. We're getting something from this. Look at verse 19. Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. Uh, what did the Lord tell him the first time? Do not go with them. If, you don't, if you're not getting this, this is why you could read through Numbers 22 and be like, oh, Balaam seems like a, a pretty good dude. 
except for the fact that God clearly told him no. Do not go with them. So, hey, you came with more money. My circumstances changed. It seems to be even better in my favor. Perhaps I'll ask the Lord what else he might say. Man, at least we don't do that. Wow. Renegotiation of what God has said. It often sounds like this. Um, Pastor, I mean, I know what the Lord just said. I just need a little time to process it. Do you? Are you giving yourself time to renegotiate? Hey, uh, Pastor, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to figure out exactly what the Lord is telling me about this situation. Perhaps the cloudiness is there is that you're fighting for your own personal gain. I mean, he didn't God didn't say that I couldn't do this. See, we think that in reclarifying reconsidering, reevaluating, revisiting what God has said that we are really doing, but all that we're really doing is renegotiating what he said. Church, a partial obedience produces a partial priesthood, not a perpetual priesthood. A partial obedience produces a partial priesthood. See, I'm, I'm pretty good over here, and if you look at it from just the right angle, man, I'm doing really good. Now, don't go around that curtain. Don't go to the other side of this. Don't really put some pressure on because you might see that it's not doing what I'm saying that it's supposed to do. Hey, pastor, let me just tell you something. This relationship, it's over. Done. That family member, that relationship, just done. Never again but you decide to resurrect it out of your own fickle, fearful, faithless nature. By our own words, we can be condemned or we can be liberated. Pastor, I'm going to do this. We've done this. The Lord has spoken. I stand boldly for today. Until I get an opportunity to renegotiate what you said. Elder, elders, as the consecrated priest of my home, I'm going to stand for shalom in all circumstances until the sacrifice is just too costly. I mean, you know, pastor, this this circumstance is really different. I mean, elders, uh, in this case, I know I said that, but this is really different. You don't understand that the circumstances have changed. Pastor, there's going to be nothing false on my lips when I speak to my relatives. But when the fires of conviction are stoked, I need to just flatter them a little bit. See, you don't understand, Pastor. I mean, I know I was going to be, you know, I was going to do it. But when I got there, see, I felt like I should kind of change. I should kind of modify. I should kind of renegotiate what God told me to do. So I just needed to flatter them a little bit because goodness knows I don't want to push them away. Goodness knows I didn't want to just offend them. So what I did was I flattered them. You know, I mean, just to make them feel a little bit better so they'll receive. Church, we have to be on guard that we do not renegotiate what God said. You are a church that has been well trained and you respond so well to the altar. It's noteworthy how you respond. 
in a worship service, after a service. How many men come down in the front makes me a proud pastor. But how many commitments have we made on our knees here that we renegotiated by the time we got to the back of the room? See, if you're going to elevate your priesthood, if you're going to do this right, church, you can't just keep thinking that you've already got it all mastered. If we were already elevated as a priesthood, you know what the Lord would not be saying to us? Elevate your priesthood. See, we're turning 18 years old as a church. We're growing up. We're gaining maturity in what we're doing. See, what you need tonight, what I need tonight, is to hear this word and to realize how much we resemble Balaam. Saints, I want to ask you tonight. Do you have divine direction for your life's devotion? And then withdraw from fellowship the minute you feel like you're not living up to it? Do you declare that your house is going to be built on the fear of the Lord and fervency for Scripture? And then you languish in a lavish, luxurious lifestyle that He's given you. Do you declare that you are filled with His all-surpassing power, aided by the anointing from heaven, and then carry out your day-to-day tasks like any other mundane burden? A partial obedience church is going to produce a partial priesthood. See, what we have been given, though, our way of life is a life of joy. Somebody say joy. Joy. Our priesthood is an honor to walk in. Somebody say an honor. Honor. Our work is sacred. Somebody say sacred. Sacred. See, you get the privilege of walking into a place that has the very presence of the Most High God in it. It is the greatest privilege that you can have. But what he wants to do is draw you closer. He wants you to be closer to his presence. He wants you to learn to dwell in his presence. But you can't do that and be a for-profit prophet. You cannot do that while constantly renegotiating what he said. Lord, I'm going to do this, pastor. I'm going to do this, friend. And then it gets difficult and you bail on it. The truth is, is we resemble these remarks. The question is in just what areas. See, what what you heard tonight was, I need to give all to the Lord. I need to learn how to sacrifice all. And the admonition to you was, think, consider what areas that you have not yet given to Him but have said. This Word is helping you to do that. It's helping you to know that renegotiating is what Balaam does. See, remember, when we're talking about cultivating our soil... The seed was never the problem. The sower, never the problem. It was the soil that was the problem. The word that Balaam got wasn't the problem. It was the uncultivated part of his soil, of his heart, that produced his downfall. Tonight is a life-giving word. It is going to help you to cultivate some areas that you have kind of ignored, that have become comfortable enough for us. And God is saying, it's not enough. I want to purify you more. I want you to be more holy. I want you to be drawn to me in a way. This is a privilege, church. Let's look at verse 20 in our passage. That night, God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Okay, pastor, now I'm a little confused. He says, don't go with them. 
he's trying to renegotiate with God, and it looks like God changes his mind here. Then Nasby, for those Nasby, Rick, Rick Lawhon, I think it says it better. It says, if these men have come to you. The truth is, though, I'm going to help you clarify this in just a second. I'm going to give you a little nugget while we're doing this, though. If there are areas of your life that seem confusing, that seem cloudy, that don't seem to be just quite right, you may tell you what's going on. You have an uncultivated part of your heart. You have ulterior motives going on that you are not yet perceiving rightly, and it's causing you to be cloudy. It's causing you to not understand what's really going on. There's words that are there on the page, but I don't get it. It's because you need to cultivate your heart in this area. But, but I'm cultivating it. Yeah, but the Lord is showing you an error. I'm, I'm all foggy. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say to this family member. It's confusing to me. Then you need to cultivate your heart. You need to drop to your knees right there and say, Lord, have I renegotiated my relationship with this person? Have I moved from what you originally told me? Am I trying to renegotiate with you here? Because that will produce cloudiness every time. Wow. This is not confusing. This is not confusing. I've decided in my life that I'm just going to look at the reality of what's going on and trust God's words more than anything. You're not allowed to look at these things and think they are a burden. You're supposed to have great joy that the Lord has given you a task to do. Look at verse 21. This is how I know it seems like God changed his mind. I'm telling you he has not. I'm going to help you. Look at verse 21. Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went. Wait a minute. He says, don't go with him. And then it seems like it's okay to go with him. But then when he goes with him, it, God is angry with him. You know what that means, church? That means there's something else going on that we're not seeing in just in the plain text here. You've got to keep reading and it's going to make sense to you. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. You know what that word for oppose there in the original language is? Satan. The angel of the Lord was opposing this guy. Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. Here's the problem with what Balaam is now doing. Um, there's a phrase that, I, that, that sometimes the pastors kid around with. And after we have given someone the most direct um, rebuke, correction that we can give. I mean direct. Do not ever do this. Don't ever do it again. And we kind of kid around and we're like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> Never do this. How about tomorrow? Wait. So you're saying there's a chance. You don't have a one in a million chance to do this. Ha <laughs> ha, I have a chance. The concept is, is that people hear what they want to hear. Do not do this. So you're saying that I can do it this way. Do not go with them. But Lord, they're bringing me more money. Do not do this. Why are you even asking God again if he's told you no? Why are you trying to change what he has clearly already said to you? Well, I'm not sure. Well, then get sure. 
He's not fickle. We are. And he's going to fix it in us tonight. He's going to help us to get this right. Balaam is renegotiating. And what God sees that we can't see just in the words. Uh Uh-oh. You mean there's sometimes more that's being said than just the words that we speak? But they get to do this. Yes, maybe it's because their heart is right and yours is not. Uh, I, is that a rule for everybody? Why are you even worried about what anybody else does? What's the rule for you? Maturity. Can you feel it, man? We're just going to cultivate this thing. We're going to get it right. We, somebody say we, have to be very careful not to hear what we want to hear out of God's commands. So you're saying there's a chance. Think about Numbers 11. You want quail? The manna that I'm feeding you and pouring out of the sky for you every morning is not good enough for you? You want something different than that? I'll give you quail, all right. God changed the wind and they, it literally, the Bible talks about, I'll give you quail till it's coming out of your nose. Oh, that's a lot of quail. <laughs> the whole nation, millions of people, While the quail was still in their mouth, he started sending judgment upon them. You know why? Because they're asking for something different than what he's already provided. Lord, what I have is real. I mean, it's good. See, I can say the right thing. It's good, Lord. Thank you so much for this. But if I had this, it'd be a little bit better. See, Lord, I love my life here. I know what you're doing is good. But if I didn't have this pressure on me right now, it would be a little bit better. See, that is you trying to negotiate through this process. I think that what's going on with Balaam, you can hold your place here and numbers. I'm going to read to you. We're going to put it on the screen. Romans chapter one and verse 24. This is what I think is happening with Balaam. Romans one and 24. It's on the screens for you. It says this. Therefore, God gave them over. Somebody say gave them over. over. And their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. I think that God so much saw that Balaam's heart was to be a for-profit prophet. He said, you want to go ahead and go with them? Fine. Fine. You go ahead and do what you think you want to do. You're hungry and thirsty, but it's not for righteousness. Fine. You go ahead and do that. But you know what it's doing? It's bringing judgment upon you, even if God can use you in the process. You want something different than what I'm giving you? Fine. I'll even give it to you. It's going to come out your nose. You're going to get sickened by it, but I'll give you what you want. You want to run away from the church when things get difficult? You want to go off by yourself? Then go off by yourself. But it's going to do harm to you. You want to keep fighting about what God is demanding of you to do? Fine, do it. That's not God's approval of you. It's Him turning you over to your own sinful desires that you might eat the fruit of that labor. You're not going to like that fruit, church. It's bitter. Man, it's expensive. It's going to sit in your stomach and cause sickness like you can't believe. But this is what happens to us when we fight for something different than what God wants for us. Man. People who are far from the Lord, they stay doing what they want to do all the while claiming that they're okay. 
we in this church can do the same thing. Oh, but pastor, I'm growing in these areas. Yes, I understand that. The Lord is going to help us, but let's not pretend like every area of your heart is producing 30, 60, and 100 fold. If it was, God wouldn't have to tell us what he's been telling us. So we just start off. We presume that there's, there's yuckiness and that God is going to help us to get it out. That's what righteous men do. They don't pretend like there's no sin. They're like, I'm sure there's sin, Lord. I don't even see it. Would you help me to see it? Would you help me to get rid of it? I don't want to, I don't want to hold on to it. I'm trying, Lord. Help me. Because there are parts of my heart that are uncultivated and I can't even see them. Oh, but the Lord's helping us tonight to start seeing some things. He's helping us to get this right. These men in Romans 1 were suppressing the truth because of their wickedness. Oh, that must just be for the unsaved. It's a wicked thing for you to be trying to renegotiate with what God has said. See, God's will is made clear to those who are cultivating the soil of their hearts. Let's go back to numbers. The story then picks back up with Balaam and his donkey. Kind of a funny story. The donkey sees that the angel of the Lord has come in his path and the donkey is trying to turn aside. And then they get in a narrow pathway and the donkey sees the angel and he turns into the wall and it hurts Balaam's little footsies. Balaam gets so angry, he starts beating the donkey. He does this two or three times. And then it's the most amazing passage because then the donkey starts talking to him. And apparently Balaam is cool with this because he just talks back. Donkey's like, hey, quit hitting me. Have I ever done this to you before? Well, no, donkey, you haven't. (laughs) Oh, okay, I guess it's normal to talk to the donkey. You know what the interesting thing is? The donkey sees the angel of the Lord. It's the donkey that's trying to avoid the wrath of God. Catch it with me. All the while, the man, Balaam, is oblivious. Do you see the irony in this? The oracle, the seer, the prophet cannot tell that he's enraged God. He cannot tell. He cannot see. The seer cannot see that he's angered God and there's an angel opposing him. But the donkey can. It's because that Balaam is in the habit of renegotiating things with the Lord. He's so used to renegotiating that he can't even see the things that are literally right in front of his face. Balaam has no solidarity of conviction. He's a for-profit prophet. He was so adept at getting the applause of men. Whoever you curse, going to be cursed. Whoever you bless, going to be blessed. He does what he thinks. He does what he wants and thinks that the whole time he's following God. Church, partial obedience produces a partial priesthood, not a perpetual priesthood. See, the Lord's going to help us to have a perpetual priesthood in this place. Let's look at Numbers 22, verse 31. Y'all staying with me? All right. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. Well, sure, there's a giant angel in front of you with a sword. Verse 32. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? 
the question that the angel of the Lord begins to ask the man is, why are you being so mean to your animal? That's interesting. I love the Bible. It's just got these little beautiful segments in here. I don't know why he would start off with that until you keep reading. I have come here to oppose you. Yikes. Because your path is a reckless one before me. See, the word just isn't reckless. That's not the only meaning that you can take from this. It's that your path is contrary. See, you went out and it sounded like you were doing the right thing, but I am angry with you. I am opposing you. I'm trying to stop you. I'm trying to make this difficult for you so that you might look up at me and figure out what's going on. See, the difficulties that are there are not just put on by anyone else. It's for me to try to help you because the way that you're going is contrary to what I told you to do. You have a contrary heart about what I'm telling you and what I want you to do. See, you got a problem and you just don't know it. You just can't see it. The donkey, the donkey can see it. You, not so much. It's contrary. Here's another word that you could have put in that instead of reckless. Perverse. Reckless. Dangerous. It made me think about Haggai... Chapter one, I'm just going to read it to you. Verse five. Now, this is what the almighty Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Come on, somebody say you better think about it. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. See, you're doing all this stuff, but is not producing the results that it's supposed to produce. The family friends, the family members that were calling us a cult at the funeral. See, what they don't see is that they are the ones that are working hard and getting no return. That are losing their marriages, that are losing their children, that are losing their homes. And they don't see it, but we're the ones that are weird. It's because they're walking in a contrary way. And instead of seeing the adversity as something good and something that will make us cry out to God, your problem isn't that you have adversity. Your problem is is that we use Our problem is, is that we use adversity to make us want to renegotiate what God has said. That's, that's the problem. Back to numbers. It says the donkey, verse 33, saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she, the donkey had not turned away, I would have certainly killed you by now. The only thing that kept Balaam alive at this point was a donkey who saw the angel of the Lord. How thin is that line sometimes of God's judgment coming upon us? Man, I want God to show me where I'm wrong. I'm inviting the judgment so that he might help me. I want to see what it is. I don't want it to be hidden because I may end up being like Balaam and being razor thin's edge. Had the donkey been what a donkey normally is and been too stubborn to turn, Balaam would be dead. But I'm sure God will put up with our stubbornness, huh? Let, let, me, let me finish the verse. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared the donkey. <laughs> you, dead. Donkey, We're good.
See, what's going on here is that Balaam is showing us something about ourselves. Let me, let me go ahead and, and complete the story here. Uh, numbers 23. Everybody turn to Numbers 23. It's probably there on the same page for most of you. Verse 1. Balaam said, build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. And Balak did as Balaam said. Uh, I want to remind you that we're in the enemy's camp perspective looking back towards God. Balaam is saying, get me seven altars, seven bulls, seven rams, and Balak did it. What? And the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. The king of Moab and Balaam are making sacrifices before the Lord. In Numbers 23, Balaam builds seven altars with seven bulls and seven rams. He does this three times in the chapter. Goes to a different place. This is time number one. He goes to a different place, builds seven more altars with seven bulls and seven rams. Goes to a different place and does the same thing. He is trying to renegotiate with God. He's like, God, you like this, don't you? You like it when we make sacrifices, right? So we're going to go make sacrifices. Ta-da! Trying to coax God into giving his suitors, his contributors, his benefactors, what they are desiring. There's a danger. Somebody say there's danger. There's danger when you use the right terminology, the right methodology, the right theology, but you remain personally unchanged. There is a danger of you using the right terminology, methodology, and even theology without being personally changed. This is life changing ministries. You want to know how you're going to elevate your priesthood? You're going to do what the word of God says to do. Fantastic. Congratulations. You know Hebrew. You are a Greek scholar. Wonderful. And you do nothing of what the Lord says. It's worth nothing. You are Balaam. Here's my seven altars. Here's my seven bulls. Here's my seven rams. Give me something, Lord. Like a combination lock. 17 to the right. 33 to... You think you're just going to do this and have God pleased with you? Here's the confusing part, though. God actually speaks through Balaam. Because God loved his people so much and his will was to bless his own people, he even used the donkey man, Balaam himself. See, that's actually the problem is when we can use the right terminology, when we can use the right methodology, and we can use the right theology, and we think that God has approved of us, but he cares about the person you're praying for, and so he just moves upon them. He cares about your family, so he's reaching out to them. It doesn't mean that he's... I'm trying to elevate our priesthood so that we're not actually renegotiating because he can save the people that you're ministering to and still not be pleased with you. Oh, pastor, I I mean, I I just got to give this Facebook sermon. Yeah, please don't do that as a member of our church. Please don't be a, a, a Facebook prophet. 
I'm ministering to my family. No, you're not. You're renegotiating what God has already said. Live in front of them. Set the standard and call them up to it. Don't talk to me about the scriptures that you... Come on, man. See, the idea is that we are personally changed by the power of God. It's not about hearing the sirens of sin and tying yourself to the bow of the ship to reluctantly, begrudgingly keep from sinning. I've got rope burns all over me. See what I'm, see how good I'm doing? The goal of this is that you are transformed and that there is a joy in doing what the Lord has said, no matter how difficult. I'm going to do this because I want to. Don't tell me, don't tell me that I'm going to do this. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the penalty of sin. That's one level. How about you do it because you love the Lord so much? How about you do it because you have such a reverence for his name? You would rather die than hurt him. Are you still thinking about what you, would, what you want? Are you still thinking about what it's going to do to you? How about you start loving him so much that you don't even want to renegotiate? Amen. He would have to move on. The Lord said this, I will never veer from this. And God said, no, I want you to do this. Oh, I was going to do this for the rest of my life until you tell me something different. See, this is what we're trying to get to as a church. We should not need a bit and a bridle. To be turned towards God's will. You shouldn't need a sledgehammer to the face. You shouldn't need something in your mouth like you were a mute animal. To get you to move to where God has for you to move. We are cultivating our hearts so that we can just do it because He deserves it. Because it's right to do. This shows up in how you parent your kids. Don't do that. Why? Because if you, if you, if you do it wrong, you might get hurt. How about you teach him to do what's right because it's the righteous thing to do? Amen. We're going to pray together. You know why? As a family, why? Because it's right for you to do. We're going to read our word every day. Not because you have to, but because you love the king of all kings and he gave you a love letter. Amen. He gave you his will. Come on, how much of things are you doing as a burden to you? We're a pretty, uh, pretty intense crew. We could do a lot of things just because we purpose it to do. We've said this, so we're going to do it. Amen. That is a right way to be, except for the fact that when you're elevating, it has to be doing it. You're obeying because you love him, because he's worthy, because he deserves it, no matter how much pain it causes you. Man, this really hurts, Lord. This is really difficult. Good. You have something extra to give to him. Hey, man, I'm elevating my own priesthood. I get to, man, this really, really stings. This really hurts my flesh. Lord, I give it to you, and I know that it hurts me. I might actually be giving you something worth it now. I'm not going to renegotiate to try to get less pain. I'm going to go, man, I'm going to give this to the Lord because it is difficult. I'm going to be a full-price warrior for you, Lord. I love this. I'm going to do it. I've been transformed down in the foundation of who I am. Lord, I'm going to do this. Man, you shouldn't need a bit in a bridle. You shouldn't get rope burns to try to keep you from the sirens of sin that are calling out to you in the ocean's water. The goal is that your heart will be so transformed, that your soil will be so cultivated that you prefer God's desires to your own. Isn't that ultimately what Balaam's issue was? He's trying to be a priest but remain personally unchanged. 
He was the one that was blind. He was the one that was the brute beast before the Lord. This is life-changing ministries. This is what goes on in this place. Don't you hang your head. If you've got areas that the Lord is pointing out to you now, then this is the time to actually press into his presence, not pull back. Not fall away, not, not shrink back, but it's to press in and say, yeah, man, this is, ah, did that terribly. But here I am. I'm not renegotiating a thing. Here I am. I'm stepping forward, not pulling back. Go with me to Numbers 31. Numbers 31, verse 1. Let's get to the end of Balaam's story. The Lord said to Moses, Take vengeance upon the Midianites for the Israelites. By the way, Balaam goes on with his seven sacrifices to get seven oracles from the Lord. And then you don't hear any more in the direct story. Then we go to Numbers 25, which is where we hear about Phinehas avenging and being as jealous and as zealous for the name of the Lord as God is. So you don't hear anything more from Balaam. He's, you just see that he's prophesying, and then you see that he leaves. And then we move on to Numbers 25. But we're going to find out a little bit more about Balaam. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, take vengeance on the Midianites. What are they taking vengeance for? They're taking vengeance for Numbers 25. The fact that the men of Israel, that all of Israel was enticed by the women of Midian and Moab. Committing sexual immorality in the very presence of God where people were weeping instead of walking towards righteous actions. After that, you're going to be gathered to your people, Moses. You're going to do this, then you're going to die. So Moses said to the people, arm some of your men and go to war. Somebody say, go to war. war. You got to go to war against the enemies of God. You don't play games, you don't placate, you don't flatter. You go to war with those things that are trying to keep you from elevating your priesthood. Go to war against the Midianites and carry out the vengeance, the Lord's vengeance upon them. Come on now, what kind of things do you need to make war with? What kind of attitudes in your own heart should you be making war against? What thoughts, what actions do you just need to go full on war mode? Verse 4, send into battle a thousand men from each of the tribes. So 12,000 men armed for battle. A thousand from each tribe were supplied from the clans of Israel. Moses sent them into battle. A thousand from each tribe. Along with Phinehas, son of Eleazar. You got 12,000 people. And Phinehas. Or as I like to say, you got Phinehas and 12,000 people. Phinehas, son of Eleazar the priest, who took with him articles from the sanctuary and the trumpets for signaling. It's not just that Phinehas went. It's that Phinehas was commanding these people. He's going to make the call, and when he blows the trumpet, they're moving forward. You know why? Because he was the man who had the zealousness and the jealousy for God's name. Look at verse 7. They fought against Midian as the Lord commanded Moses and killed every man. Woo! Every man. Wow. Among their victims were Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba. Not McIntyre, but Reba. The five kings of Midian. 
See, they weren't just taking care of the lowly. They were getting at the heart. They were killing the, the things, the authorities that were attached to chaos in their world. They also killed Balaam, son of Beor, with the sword. Huh. So the last thing you see, he's saying exactly what God said. And the next time you see his name, it's that he was getting killed with the sword as God was taking vengeance upon his enemies. The Israelites captured the Midianite women and children and took all the Midianite herds. Somebody say captured. They captured the women. They took the herds, flocks, and goods as plunder. Verse 10. They burned all the towns where the Midianites had settled, as well as all their camps. They took all the plunder and spoils, including the people and animals, and brought the captive spoils and plunder to Moses and Eleazar the priest. And the Israelite assembly at their camp on the plains of Moses by the Jordan across from the Jericho. Verse 13. Moses... Eleazar the priest and all the leaders of the community went to meet them outside the camp. Look at verse 14. Moses was angry. Moses was angry with the officers of the army, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds who returned from the battle. Look at verse 15. Have you allowed all the women to live? He asked them, the women to live. Wouldn't that be a normal process in the, in the battlement? You kill the men and you would take the women. Verse 16. They were the ones, listen to this, who followed Balaam's advice. Somebody who, while he was prophesying the very oracles of God, was also giving them advice and were the means of turning the Israelites away from the Lord and what happened at Peor. So that a plague struck the Lord's people. See, now it comes to light. Balaam had sympathy for the enemy of God. Listen to it again. Balaam had sympathy for the enemy of God and wanted to give them something. I mean, after all, they did just make him rich. After all, they did promise him a lot of wealth, even though he didn't fulfill it because they wanted a curse. He still, he's like, you know, I kind of feel bad for you. I mean, I only did what the Lord said, but I feel bad for you. So let me give you something. You're not going to be able to defeat these guys in fair hand-to-hand combat. They're going to whip your booty. But I can tell you how to defeat God's people. I'm going to give you advice. The word there in the Hebrew is debar. I'm going to give you a word on how to do this. I'm going to teach you. See, I can't curse the people of God, but I sure can sabotage them. I can't curse them, but I can tell you how to win against them. Man. We're going to wrap this up in the next few minutes, but I want us to catch something here. See, there's a definitive problem when you start renegotiating with what God has said. Because partial obedience is only going to produce a partial priesthood. We're going to get a perpetual priesthood in this place. We're going to do this. We're going to have husbands who lead their wives well. We're going to have parents who lead their children well. We're going to have it go through the generations because that's what God is building here. But we need to take a look at this so that we can purify our own hearts. Turn with me to Jude chapter 11. I'm sorry, Jude verse 11. There's one chapter in Jude. I meant verse 11. Here. Here. 
I want you to know that Balaam is referenced in every single section of the Bible. Balaam is. Law, prophets, writings. He is referenced. Look at Jude verse 11. Woe to them, they have taken the way of Cain. Somebody say way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. Somebody say Balaam's error. And they've been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. Man, this immediately reminds me. The people have rushed into profit, for profit into Balaam's error. It kind of reminds me in the book of Acts of Simon the sorcerer. You can see, he can see that God is doing something. And so for a prophet, he thinks that he can buy his way into godliness. Man. May it be like Peter who answered him. May your money perish with you. I want you to see when it says Balaam's error. Somebody say error. error. I have a slide for you because I want to show you what this word is. This is the word in the Greek. Oh, well, Balaam just, I mean, he just made a mistake, right? He just made an error. No, that's not what the word is at all. It is deceit. To deceive. Delusion. Somebody say delusion. It's fraudulence. He was saying one thing with part of his mouth and teaching the people how to defeat God's way. That's Balaam's error. It's Balaam's delusion. It's Balaam's deception that was going on. See, this is one thing when we think about Balaam. But the problem is, is if we're not careful, we have areas in our own life where we allow deception from ourselves to ourselves. We say things about us to us. See, this is more than just an error. This is a fraudulent deception that comes. I'm just going to read this to you. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, at verse 9. It says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. This is talking about the Antichrist. But I want you to hear some of this. Displayed in all kind of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Didn't Balaam actually get some of these oracles right? Verse 10, And in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. How much do you love the truth tonight? Pastor, I think I do. Does anybody in the room want to love truth more tonight? Does anybody want to elevate even your love for truth? The verse goes on to say in verse 11, for this reason, God sends a a powerful delusion. It's the same word as used for Balaam's error. It's the same word there. It's a delusion that that Balaam had. Everybody turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. Can y'all stay with me for just another few minutes? We're at 58 minutes in. We're going to be done in just a few minutes. And this is the time where people start to squirm and start to move. I need you to stay with me. Because we have to make sure that we are driving every part of a fraudulent, delusional error out of our lives tonight. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 15. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, 
who loved the wages of wickedness. See, they left what they had already done and what was an error in one passage has now become a way. What was, what starts off as, as advice back in the, uh, back in numbers becomes an error, a delusion, a fraudulent transfer. Then it becomes a way, a roadway, a highway, a pathway. See, I've done this so much that I've worn the ground down and I don't even need to exactly teach you anymore. It doesn't have to be my word anymore. It's so well worn that people will kind of find this way on their own. You kind of fall back into it without noticing that you did it. Because it's just the way that we do things. An error that becomes a way. See, they left the straight way, the highway of holiness, the level ground that was been secured by their love for truth, the love for the word and the love for God's way above their own. What starts as an error, a delusion becomes a way. By the way, who loved the wages of wickedness. Do you know what I was expecting when I looked at this word in the Greek? I'll tell you what I was expecting and I was wrong. I was expecting it to be a lustful, loving the wages of wickedness. The word in the Greek there is agape. For those of you who may not be as familiar with the Greek, agape is usually the way that we define it from the pulpit. Is it's the God kind of love. It's the love that God shows to you. Or in this case, it might be the way that you love the God of the wealth and the riches. He loved it like we're supposed to love the Father. He loved it like the way the Father loves us. He loved the wages of wickedness. He didn't just enjoy it. He loved it with a deep kind of passion. He was encompassed by it. Wow. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 14. This is the church at Pergamum, the modern-day Turkish city of Bergama. Revelation 2.14 says this, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Hold up. I thought Balaam was approximately 1,500 years before Christ, Pastor. Yep. But I thought the book of Revelation was written about people in the first century A.D., Yep. 1,600 years after Balaam, there are still people holding to the teaching of Balaam. That delusion that became a highway, became a way, and now it has become an entire teaching, a doctrine of its own. Let's show this slide. The word here in the Greek, didache, it is a doctrine. A whole doctrine that's been made on what you can get out of what God has said to you. A whole doctrine of you making it so much about you that you've forgotten the one who said it. 
Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Do you notice the part that's different there? You've known about the sexual immorality since the beginning of it. But to eat food sacrificed to idols, what does that mean for us today? It means seeking alternate provision from what God has actually given you. To have an alternate desire than what He is clearly speaking to you to have. Anything other than what God has provided for you is you eating the food of idols. An alternate version. Pastor, I like a lot of what you say, but I don't like the kind of... I'm just going to tweak your version. An alternate way. Anything that God hasn't provided that you are trying to feed yourself with. Man. But let me show you one last scripture. Let's turn to Nehemiah chapter 13. Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 1. It says this, on that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God. Wow. But you didn't realize that. The Ammonites and Moabites, the ongoing enemies of God, yeah, they're not going to have any place in his presence. Because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call down a curse on them. Nehemiah is referencing back to Balaam and to the people who tried to use Balaam as a for-profit prophet. Look at that last phrase in parentheses there. Our God, however, turned the curse into a blessing. Church, let's turn the curse into a blessing tonight. These areas in your heart that you realize that you've been renegotiating with God, they have to be put to death right now. What the enemy is trying to use to subvert, to sabotage, or to supplant the perpetuation of the priesthood in you has been exposed. So that you can cultivate the word by the power of the Spirit tonight. No renegotiating in this place. No alternatives. No more tying ourselves to the bow of the ship to keep from going headlong after the sirens of sin. No more bits and bridles for me. No more bits and bridles for you to force you to go do something that you know is what God said in the first place. We're going to have solidarity of our convictions tonight. Stand with me tonight, every one of you. What the Lord has given us tonight from the beginning of the service to this moment right now is one thought that he has been cultivating in our hearts. When you say, Lord, I've given you everything, he actually expects you to do that. He expects you to actually give him everything. And when he shows you something else that you have kept for yourself, you immediately hand that to him and say, 
please forgive me, mighty God. I didn't realize that I was renegotiating with you and the consequences that could come with that. Balaam became a marker of wickedness. And he did things that seemed to be right. Seven oracles recorded from him. And they are some of the most powerful things about God's people that you'll find anywhere in Scripture. But he was a for-profit prophet. He was only serving for what he could get. We're going to pray tonight. God is going to elevate our priesthood. I believe and I firmly hold it inside of me that the Lord has shown many of us in this room the areas where we've been trying to renegotiate, where we resemble Balaam instead of rejecting Balaam. See, he's going to help you tonight if you'll run to him. He can elevate you in a way that is beyond our understanding as we learn to reverence his name above all else. Not because you're going to get something. It may hurt to have to come down to this altar. It's going to require your death. I'm sure of it. It's going to hurt even more to have to stand up and walk out and change what you do. It's going to hurt you. You're not, I'm not even saying to do this because you're going to get something from it. Quit renegotiating. Just do it because the love of the Father is being grown and cultivated in you. Mighty God, we pray before you right now that you would help us, that you would move upon us. Lord, that you would kindle in us a righteousness that does not come because we can talk our way out of it. But Lord, that we would die to the for-profit prophets in this world. This mentality that says we're going to rush headlong towards sin. Lord, we want to joyfully serve you tonight. We want to joyfully do this before you. It is a great privilege to come and be close to you, but we must be purified before you. It is not enough for us to say that we will give our all and keep so much back for ourselves. Lord, we don't want you to have to use a mute animal to speak to us. We want your life to be seen in us, mighty God. That the curse might be turned into a blessing tonight in this house. Lord, that we would elevate our priesthood, Lord, by purifying our hearts right now. Expose every heart, every part of our hearts, Lord, that has been uncultivated, that we might offer it to you now. No matter the cost, no matter the price, no matter the difficulty, Lord. Enough of living on our own for our own gain. No more renegotiating, but only your will in our lives tonight, Lord. Help us now, in Jesus' name.